Okay, so we're in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, we're down to what I call really the, the last of four disciplines that Jesus gives in order to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And so in verse 16, we're looking at the idea, the instruction that Christ gives on fasting. So verse 16 says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I was just thinking, as I was reading that, I used to work for a construction company. I was a project manager, and there was a... This, this company had been founded by Mennonites, some really neat guys. And Mennonites are not big on education. Most of them leave school at eighth grade. But they were very entrepreneurial a lot of them were millionaires and the guys that started this company were multi-millionaires and they moved uh, and established an office in Guyman, Oklahoma and in Periton, Texas and and uh, a lot of the guys on the Guyman office were Catholics and they were devout Catholics really good guys and they so at uh, on Ash Wednesday every year they'd go to church at noon they'd come back with their ashes on their forehead and they would always lay off tobacco for that 40 days and talk about looking miserable, you know. I'm just thinking about don't look, you know, don't look miserable. Man, they'd be miserable. In the office would just really be bad for a couple of weeks while the while the uh, snuff withdrawals were going on. You know, you know. I was thinking about that as I read that. So here we have this uh, practice. We looked at uh, the idea of giving. How Jesus has called us to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and how the people that do that are defined by the beatitudes. And then Jesus, in the, in the process of unfolding this sermon more, what we have is chapter 6. He says, you know, the way that you can really target that, seeking first the kingdom and righteousness of God, is one, be givers. You know, so he has this, this uh, encouragement of being alms givers, providing to those that are in need around us in, in any way that we can. He talks to us about prayer, which really becomes the most important thing that we do and, and really reveals who we are more than anything else in our spiritual life is our private time with God. And then he talks about forgiving, which, which is added in there because he even comments on that, that if we don't forgive, you know, that we can't continue on in mercy ourselves. In fact, it even proves that we're really not part of the kingdom if we, if we don't forgive those that offend us. And then finally, he talks about fasting. But fasting is really probably the one that's the least known and the most neglected. You know, I've read before in a lot of surveys anywhere from like they say four to eight percent or something like that. It's always real low of evangelical Christians tithe. Man, that's pathetic, isn't it? Four to eight percent. No wonder they're always having people are having to hammer you from the pulpit. You got to give. You got to give our budgets. You know, if if people just gave ten percent, you know, the the church would have so much money. It'd be just like uh, in the days of Moses, or say, quit bringing your money in here. We got too much money. You know. But I've never heard that said anywhere, really, <laughs> except in the Bible. But, but anyway, this idea of fasting has kind of fallen on hard times. Probably has always been on hard times. But it's something that Jesus, uh, he at least assumes that we will do it sometimes. He doesn't say that we have to do it, you know, daily like he encourages us in prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread. But he does say when you fast, you know, do it. And all of these things that we do are giving and our praying and our fasting are always for the audience of one. We're always doing it for God. We're not doing it for other people. But we will be doing it sometimes in groups of people. In the Old Testament, you see lots of places where, where the uh, leaders of the nation 
call the people to a corporate fast. Even the, even the king of, of uh, eh, what's the name of the city where Jonah didn't want to go? Nineveh. Nineveh. Even the king of Nineveh called his people to fast, and they weren't even God-fearers or God-lovers, and they certainly weren't in covenant relationship with God. But he called on those people to fast, and God saw that fast and their humility and their brokenness before him, and he gave them a reprieve from the destruction he was intending to bring. So fasting is a very powerful thing, uh, not well understood, uh, even less practiced, and yet it's something that Jesus enjoins us to engage in if we're going to be those that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So this morning we'll look at, look at this. I got a note I think I wrote on there with a pen that's got copied on there. There's a little book uh, uh, by a guy named Arthur Wallace. It's an old book. It's maybe 100, 120 pages called God's Chosen Fast, which is really a reference from Isaiah 58 that we'll look at in a minute. But it's a, it's a little book that talks about the scriptural basis for fasting, uh, what what fasting is about, and it also deals with the physiological effects of fasts that are longer than, say, three or four days. So it gives you some real good information there if you decide to fast for a longer period of time in terms of what you can expect uh, your body, how it's going to complain, what what kind of effects it's going to have in your physiology, and and uh, so all those things would be helpful. If you want to read that little book, you enjoy it. Uh, I, I used to have a copy of it. I loaned it to somebody, and it disappeared, but it was a re- really good little book. So... We're looking at this instruction that Jesus gives, and in fasting, as in everything that Jesus speaks, uh, we're, not, we're not greater than our master, and Jesus fasted. So if we're not greater than our master, then we can expect to suffer because our master suffered. We can expect that we ought to be people that fast, that pray, to forgive, because our master did those things as an example for us. Jesus first is our Savior, but then he becomes the model of what it is to be somebody that's holy, somebody that's seeking first the glory of God and giving our lives up for that purpose. And so, uh, again, that's kind of an expectation that Jesus had. And really, you think about uh, the first meal of the day, which is not lunch, as some people think, but what? Break fast so that's kind of interesting came right into our language I, I, I typically think of breakfast as you know man what can i go to calico county and get i like chicken fried steak and eggs with hash browns <laughs> i used to eat that like once a week at least and then one day i was telling tom thatcher about that and he said what what's your heart look like so i <laughs> so i cut back a little bit uh, maybe maybe once a month now but at any rate, we break fast, don't we? we? We have supper at some point or our last meal of the day. Like my folks now, they, they eat mid-afternoon, eight, two meals. They'll eat breakfast, and, they'll eat, and then they don't eat again until the next morning. And so we really break fast, don't we, when we get up in the morning and we quit fasting, which we've done overnight. And uh, fasts can be of various lengths. John Wesley was really big on fasting. He would not appoint a preacher in his group unless they fasted twice a week. And that's really what the Pharisees did, didn't they? they, they that wasn't, that wasn't uh, Wesley's intent, you know. He was not trying to be legalistic with it, but he wanted people that were going to be earnest about their seeking of God. And so he said, you know, if you're not willing to discipline yourself and control your flesh, you know, then, then I really don't want you to be a part of the band of preachers that, that I'm getting together. So fasting's always been a part of, of Christian heritage. The Puritans, the pilgrims were really big on fasting. And when they saw something that was impinging upon the success of their endeavors as a, a community of saints trying to be a city set on a hill, they would gather together and they would fast and pray and say, God, why? 
What have we done? What sin have we committed that has brought this devastating drought or difficulty that we're facing? And they would wait on God and fasting and prayer until they heard, and then they would correct their bearing. And so that's an interesting thing, which is really what uh, the writer of some of the some of the writers in the Old Testament are talking about. Joel, especially, you know, summon and consecrate a fast. All these people, maybe God will hear, maybe He'll answer, maybe He won't send the locust plague. You know, He'll remove it from your presence. And so fasting has this uh, kind of a sense of going for the ear of God, but even more, turning and tuning our ear to what God's saying. We want to be people that, that hear more and more clearly. Wouldn't you like to just really hear God clearly all the time? That'd be really nice. Well, fasting is one of those things that helps us do that. And it also is a, it's kind of a, it's a, a discipline in that it helps us keep our flesh under control. And so we can kind of practice with fasting. And we can use that so when we encounter other difficulties in life, we've already kind of grown used to the idea of keeping our flesh down, not letting it have the preeminent place in our life. And uh, so it gives us a kind of a practiced uh, discipline that we probably all need. So here's, the, here's some things I, I just wrote down about uh, fasting. It denotes a sacrifice of an individual's rightful practice or practices. It's primarily in reference to food and sometimes even water. But it really references food primarily. But there, there, are, there are intimations in Scripture that we can fast from a lot of different things. Anything that we have a rightful uh, claim on, and food's one of those, isn't it? I mean, you've got to have it. But to put it aside for a season in order to seek God, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and to remind ourselves how dependent we are and how God wants to come and tend to our needs and uh, so we can commune with Him uh, more, more clearly, hopefully. So we give up a practice in pursuit of, of glorifying God's name. Um, but Paul, ta- this is kind of interesting to me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, he's talking about married life and how he really wishes people were single, which I guess he means is a shaker. You know, <clears throat> do you ever, you ever read about the shakers? You know, they, they didn't, uh, they lived celibate lives. So if you do that very long, what happens to your movement? You know? And that, that's why the Shakers are down to like a handful of people up in the Northeast now. But, but anyway, Paul says, uh, he says, listen, he says, sexual relationships and marriage are a great gift of God. And the only time that you should ever keep your body from your spouse is in times when you want to seek God for a season, but then come back together, lest you be tempted by the devil. And so he's talking about fasting from sexual relationships uh, in marriage for the purpose of seeking God. So it's kind of like a fast from something that we have a rightful claim to. And so there's this evidence in Scripture from that and even from some of the things you see in Daniel that we could fast from things besides food. We could give up, say, reading the newspaper. Lent's kind of like that, isn't it? You know, you give up. That's a, that's a good practice. Give up reading the newspaper. <clears throat> Except for the comics, man, the comics. Are, I really like comics. But give up the rest of it. You know, give up, give up sports. If you're, if you're just addicted to sports and it's just like governs you. And I kind of quit watching football because it just creates a lot of angst in me. And uh, especially today's game would do that to me. So I just thought, I'm not watching that. Somebody was telling me they're going to watch the Puppy Bowl. <laughs> and I said, I hope they beat the Patriots. <laughs> but they won't. So anyway... So the example, as I've got a note there, the example of marriage opens the door to many applications of fasting. But again, it's primarily food and drink that we're concerned with when we talk about fasting in Scripture. It's a self-affliction. It's a humbling of ourselves. 
And not to eat is an affliction, isn't it? And I, you don't have to tell me if you've ever fasted or not, but, but if you have, you'll know that, man, your body just begins to scream out. Your appetite can really drive your whole life. It's like when you travel. Uh, one of the things that my wife and I, when we travel, one of the great joys is where are we going to eat, you know? <laughs> What are we going to eat? You know, we had not tried that. Let's go there. And we can, we can allow It's good. I mean, I like to eat good stuff. But, but once you begin to fast, you'll find out that your body really starts to howl. And I, I know when I've been on elongated fast in the, in the past, you know, I, I just think, man, a mustard sandwich, that sounds so delicious. <laughs> you know, I'd never have a mustard sandwich when I was eating regularly. But, man, it sure sounded good when I didn't have anything. Yeah. Your body just begins to scream out. And so you're, you're really pushing the flesh down. The body's not going to dictate. Fasting is about putting away those things, that really some of the, the great sensory perception, especially of taste, but smell too is affected. And uh, it's just a, it's, it's like Paul says, man, he says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm, I'm pommeling my body. I'm bringing it under submission. And he's doing that. Why? For the sake, in, in that context of 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, and especially at the end of chapter 9, he's doing what he does to keep himself under control for two reasons. One is God's calling to preach the gospel, and that's the only thing that he sees as valuable in his calling, except the other is he doesn't want anybody to stumble. And if it's required that he never eat meat again, which evidently he liked meat, he said, I would never eat that again if it caused someone to stumble, if it, if it offended someone else's conscience. I'll give that up for the sake of... The, of their salvation for the sake of being able to witness to them. And so fasting is, is something that really is a issue that's controlled by love. It's not a, I get it written down here somewhere, but it's not quid pro quo. You know, we're, we like to make a deal with God, don't we? If, if I pray this, if I pray this so many times, if I pray it the right way, the health and wealth community is a lot about praying enough or the right way you know using seven different ways to get god to do your will i don't i don't know if there's any books that are named exactly that but pretty close you know <laughs> but we don't manipulate god with fasting what we're doing is getting our flesh out of the way for a season in order to listen to god and come more closely aligned with his purposes the same way with prayer but we're not giving god to say god i'm going to fast for this long and i'm expecting this to happen god says well i'll see you later you know but we don't, we don't trade God anything. Everything that we receive from God is grace. But lots of times the things in our life are preventing us from seeing clearly that grace so we can embrace it, that we can take hold of it. And so fasting enables us to hear more clearly, to, to draw to, near to God more closely and, and be in uh, cooperation with him. So here's, the, I want to get down to the kind of the meat of this because Jesus has called us to fast and, and again to do it in, in the sense of doing it as unto God. And the reasons for and effects of fasting I put in here, remembering that's not a quid and pro quo, is, is I've got a list here. There's probably other things, but I can see these in scriptures. I've read through scripture. Repentance, seeking God in preparation for ministry, empowering ministry, receiving guidance for the sake of others, which all of these are really, intercession, and revelation and understanding. So I gave you some references there. Uh, and I want to spend a, some time on a couple of them. You can look at these on, on your own, but you'll begin to see that there's a lot of places in Scripture, especially, it's, especially in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the book of Acts, fasting is mentioned on more than one occasion. And so it wasn't something that was relegated to the Old Covenant, you know, as something that was of the law or something. It's, it's something that's of God's people. And so we want to be people understand that and practice what we can. So some of these are repentance like Ezra, 
there was a lot of when the people came back from Babylonian captivity and began to reestablish in the in the uh, sixth century the temple and the worship of God. One of the things that they'd gone had been sent off for was really the main thing they'd been sent off for was becoming idolaters. They worshipped other gods. They took in the other cultures around them, which God told them not to do. And when they come back, they start the same process. They begin to intermarry with the people that were left behind in the land that would have been who became the Samaritans, but they were from different tribes and nations. And, and they begin to intermarry, and it just broke Ezra up. And so he called for repentance and prayed. And so you can read this in Ezra. You can read it in Nehemiah when he gets word that things are not going well in the rebuilding of the temple and of the walls of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. He uh, breaks down, and with fasting and prayer, he begins to seek God. And that's when Ahasuerus sees that, hey, what's wrong with my wine taster? What's going on with this guy? Man, he's sad. Something's wrong with these counts is falling. And he asks him, he says, what, what's the problem? How come you're, you've dropped so low? He said, oh, my people aren't doing good. So he gives him a 12-year sabbatical to go back, and he works with the people as they establish that. And, and he and Ezra, the leaders, Ezra's the priestly leader and Nehemiah's the governmental leader. As they go back, they're both men of prayer and fasting. And they draw the people into that as they seek to be renewed uh, after coming out of that captivity. So we see, we're seeking God in preparation for ministry. Uh, the Nazarites, a guy, you know, couldn't, uh, couldn't have any wine, which would be fine with me. Okay. So seeking God in preparation for ministry. Uh, you know, it talks about how Jesus was prepared for ministry. And one of the things was is he was driven one of the gospels says he was driven into the wilderness by the holy spirit to the gospels to the synoptics say he was led into the wilderness but at any rate the holy spirit got him into the wilderness preparing him for ministry and for 40 days he fasted that's a long time to fast isn't it so when you read from arthur wallace you'll find out that by the time you're fasting 40 days your your body is turned on its muscle tissue and has begun to consume the muscles uh, up until the 21st day, it's mostly fat stores, uh, but after 21 days, it's beginning to devour its own muscle tissue. And so Jesus is prepared, though, and the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4 that he goes into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. If you've never noticed that, that's, that's interesting. And we understand that the heavens are open when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes and lands on him, remains with him as a dove, you know, symbolizing that God has come to, to be with Christ and everything. So he goes into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting in verse 18, it says he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's interesting to me. He goes in full, he comes out in power. And part of, the, part of that that was happening was Jesus was seeking his Father in prayer and fasting and resisting temptation. And he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit prepared for ministry. And so fasting is a, is a way that we can expect God to empower us as we listen to him and respond to him. And Jesus was, was going to be fully responsive to his Father, and uh, he was prepared in that 40 days of fasting, which is a, a parallel, really, of Moses. It appears like Moses spent 80 days in fasting because he went up on the mountain, you know, got the tablets, came down, broke them, went back up. And so he had two 40-day periods. I don't know if he had a sandwich in between or not, but, but I mean, 80 days, this is a supernatural thing that God has sustained him. Uh, Elijah is the same. He spent 40 days, and God sustained him. And so there are these episodes of people that are really uh, going to do some significant things for God. They have to be emptied and 
of themselves and broken and refilled and empowered in order to accomplish that. Even though Jesus didn't have to be broken, still he identified with the idea of, of being totally dependent upon his Father through that fasting. So it empowers ministry. Remember when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, a lot of the early manuscripts don't contain this, but, but this guy comes down with his son who's got these epileptic seizures, and the disciples, some of the disciples that have been left down in the plains, you know, they, they've been trying to cast this demon out, and they've had practice doing that. They've had success doing that, but this one they just can't get it to depart. And so this father drags his son up there, you know, and cries out to Jesus and said, you know, my son is cruelly oppressed by this demon and your disciples haven't been able to to do anything with him. Can you help me? And Jesus says, oh, you unbelieving generation. And so he casts the demon out and his disciples go, how come? How come you could do it? We couldn't. He said, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. So it's interesting that Jesus was evidently practicing fasting even after the 40 days, but certainly those 40 days empowered him to do the things that were on his agenda for for the coming weeks at least. But at any rate, he's commending this practice of fasting because it prepares us for ministry. So I've got this. I'll just tell you an example. This is a really strange thing in my life. I was pastoring a little church over by Rio Dos in Mexico, and that's... Somehow, God just put this church in renewal. It was really, it was really neat. Looking back, I can say, man, that was something. You know, I just thought it was kind of normal at the time because it was my first pastor, but it wasn't normal. And I saw a lot of great stuff happening. So one night on Wednesday night, I'm teaching. I don't know what I'm teaching on this Wednesday night. And I had in this small sanctuary, maybe 20, 30 people there. And we were having some altar ministry at the end of this meeting. And I had some teenage boys that just, just met Christ. And they were down at the altar praying. And I had another guy that... I had been ministering to him and his wife, and he was a ex-college football player, really muscular. He did a lot of landscaping. He was still in good shape, you know, and just a big guy. And uh, so he, he'd been coming to church a lot, and he came down, and he put his arms on two of these teenagers. And then he, then he started pushing them together. And then it got a little more violent, you know. He's pushing them harder and harder. Their heads are knocking, you know, and I'm, I'm going, what's going on here, you know? And all of a sudden, in my mind... This thought came, tell Satan to be still. So I said, what? So I stood over there and I said, Satan, be still. And this guy just keeled over backwards. I thought, wow, that's unusual. Yeah. And it was really unusual in my congregation. And some of them were really frightened. And some of them got up and left, you know. And, and so I'm thinking, man, I better go talk to those people. I, you know, I know a little about what's going on here, but not a lot. And, and so I, I got a couple of my deacons. I was in a Baptist church at the time. They have deacons, no elders. And so I, I said, you guys go up there and, and minister to this man. He's laying on the floor there. You know, I'm going to go talk to these people. And I catch them in the yard and talk to them for a while. I try to calm them down. And I come back in, and, and this guy's just leaving. They got him up off the floor, you know, and they'd taken him in my office. And I said, you ha-, I said, do you have any success giving him some relief? He said, no, I don't think we did. So I said, hey, let's do this. I said, let's, let's uh, for the next couple of days, if you'll fast and pray with me for him, then I'll invite him to come over and I'll. See if, see if I can accomplish some kind of remedy for him, you know. That's kind of the way I said it. I don't know what I said exactly. And so we prayed and fasted. There were about four of us for two days. And when he came over to my house, he, he came into this room that I used kind of as an office. And, uh, and I said, this guy's name was Blaine. He's passed away since. And I said, Let's, uh, let me talk with you here. How are you feeling? He said, I don't know. He said, something's really bothering me. And I said, well, let's pray about it. And so I began to pray. And when I began praying, the whites of his eyes turned just real bright red. 
And I was and this and I was thinking, I, I think I'll leave maybe, you know. But I knew that it was a demonic thing, you know, I wasn't sure what it was, and so I began to minister to him. And to make the long story short, God honored that prayer and fasting and ministering to him, he was he was loosed from some things in his life that were really just pressing him down, just oppressed to the devil. And it's this kind of thing that sometimes happens in prayer and fasting because it's to loose the yoke. And we'll read about that in a minute in, in Isaiah 58, that people are set free. And fasting is one of the things that God has chosen to do that. It's not the only thing, but it's a, it's a tool, a discipline that he gives us to exercise towards seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then he even uses people like us to pour the fullness and the power of his Holy Spirit into so that we can minister in the name of Christ and see God do great things because always the glory goes to him. So that's a, those two things kind of go together in seeking God and prepare, preparing for ministry and guidance. When the early church was seeking to, to multiply the labors and the harvest, they would gather and pray and fast sometimes. And then they would, that God would say, put your hands on these guys, and they would send them out. Well, the church still does that. But lots of times I've been in churches where there's very little prayer and no fasting going on, and they put people in position that later become devastating theologically to the flock. And so the early church was dependent. They were simple, and they said, man, we need God's leading on this. We need his guidance. And they prayed, and God said, these are the men to set out. And, and so you read about that in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And then let's go over to Isaiah chapter 58. We'll read this because this is really the, the locus classicus of of fasting in the whole Bible. There's more information here probably than any place else about the whole idea of fasting. If you get an ESV Bible, the, the heading on chapter 58, it's probably like mine, says true and false fasting. Isaiah 58. And he says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. It's kind of like what James is saying about prayer that we looked at last week. You know, that sometimes we, we pray and we say, well, I'm not getting what I need. Well, we, we can't get what we need when we're trying to spend it on our own passions, James says. And likewise, these people are going through the regimen of fasting. They're doing all these religious things. They're thinking this is a quid pro quo thing. If we do this, God has to do that. It's kind of like when they took the ark of God in the battle with the Philistines. Remember that story early in, in 1 Samuel? And they grab, the, they grab the ark and they're fighting the Philistines and they're losing the battle. So they hey, we got God in the box. Let's go win. And so they're going to take God into the battle, and they get devastated, and the Philistines end up with the ark. It's just not something that we do in order to bend, twist God's arm. God's arm is not going to be twisted. We're not going to manipulate him, but yet that's the way they're thinking. They think that by our good works, by our righteous deeds, which we don't have any, you know, by these things God must respond. The Pharisees and Sadducees were like that, fasting twice a week, but it didn't do them any good. Because God will not be manipulated, and he can't be bought off, and he can't be bribed. And so this is exactly where these people are coming from. In verse 4, he says, But behold, you fast only to quarrel, and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, and a day acceptable to the Lord? 
Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away from the yoke, take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Well, those are great promises, aren't they? What a tremendous promises if the fasting is right, if it's for the glory of God, His kingdom coming, and the benefit of those that are in need. If we do it for that reason, God says, that's going to be blessed. You're drawing near to me when you fast that way. If you fast, you know, as a, as a religious practice, trying to think that you're buying me off, thinking you're going to get brownie points in heaven for what you've done, you're barking up the wrong tree. It isn't going to happen. But if you do it for my glory, if you do it the way that I've prescribed, if you do it in order to help others, he said, I'll bless it. So if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, he goes on to, to talk a little bit about the Sabbath. And so that's, the, that's for the sake of others, really. Love is the keynote of the kingdom, isn't it? I heard a guy preach one time a sermon called, uh, The Main Thing is to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. His name is Peter Lord, which is a great church name in it. Peter Lord. Anyway, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. If I give away my body to be burned, you know, and give away all that I've got, you know, but don't have love, it doesn't do anything. So if I fast until I'm sitting on a, on a pole out in the wilderness by myself, you know, and somebody has to hoist a peanut butter up to me every three weeks, and, and I look really holy, you know, it doesn't do me any good. But if I give what I have to God first and then for the benefit of others... God says, this is the fast I'm looking for. This is, what, this is what I honor. And I'll give you these great blessings. I'll hear you when you cry. I'll be your rear guard. You know? I will make you the repair of the breach. All of these great things will come your way if you practice your religion, which is not a bad word, if you practice your religion for the right reason. That is to be seen by God. Because I'll reward you openly if you do it as unto me. And so this was, this was the problem in the Old Testament Almost always, it can be the problem even in the New Testament. Intercession, Nehemiah 1 4 already mentioned that. And you got these great stories of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and his, his cronies start off by saying, We don't want to eat the rich diet of Nebuchadnezzar. And so God honors that. And they look better than the other guys who've been eating all the ribeyes, which is kind of a sad thing. But, they, you know, they've been eating lentils. You ever eat lentils? We, we eat lentils quite a bit, and they're, they're all right. If you put a bunch of bacon in them, you know, but you've got to have something to flavor them. But that's kind of what they were doing. They were eating lentils. They said, no, we're, we don't eat that kind of stuff. We're not going to eat that rich food. And so God honors Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, they begin to move up as counselors to the king. They move up in the government. And then Daniel becomes uh, 
favored by God to the extreme because he just keeps on praying. He probably keeps on fasting. But we know for sure in chapters 9 and 10, he's talking about fasting. In chapter 9, he's been reading the books of Jeremiah. And he says, man, what is that about that he's talking about? It's kind of weird stuff in the future. What's that mean? And so he begins to, first of all, he prays and repents in sackcloth and fasting because he knows the people have not paid attention to the law of God. They've not been obedient to the voice of the prophets. And he goes in in their place, he intercedes. And God hears that prayer. And then he begins to seek God. And for 21 days, he doesn't eat anything pleasant. I just have to do that kale, three meals a day. (laughs) Kale, kale, and more kale. You ever have one of those kale green drinks? Man, don't write home about those, do you? Anyway, so for 21 days, he doesn't eat anything pleasant, just enough to sustain him. And he's asking God, help me, Lord, to understand these end times. Help me to understand what it is that Jeremiah spoke about. What does he mean about these things? This is important for us as your people, God. We're waiting to hear from you. And all of a sudden, one day, the 21st day, Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel says, man, we heard your prayers from the very get-go. The first time you prayed, we heard you. But I was coming across to bring this revelation to you, and I ran into the prince of the power of the air, the prince of Persia. And if Michael hadn't shown up to beat him back, I don't know if I'd be here yet, but here is what God wants you to know. And the rest of Daniel, chapters 10, 11, and 12, are all about the revelation that he gets as a result of seeking God with prayer and fasting. Now, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And we can expect as we fast for the sake of God's glory and for others that we'll receive revelation. It's not going to be canonical. We're not going to write a new book in the Bible. If we do, we're going to throw you out the doors. But we can receive revelation. We can receive, receive understanding. We can have enlightenment that the Holy Spirit brings freshly upon us because we've denied ourselves to seek God, His kingdom, and His righteousness, and to give glory to Him. And God rewards that. He rewards that. People that want to draw near to Him, then He draws near to them. Okay? And so this was the things that uh, Daniel saw as he, as he uh, prayed with fasting in those three chapters of Daniel, or four chapters. So... What happens when we uh, see this kind of stuff? Because I, I really, you know, I fasted some in my life, and I, I still do short fasts. Uh, short fasts aren't too bad, really. But I didn't like longer fasts. And I, short fasts aren't even really that pleasurable, you know. But they are something that God has ordained as, an, as a means to us to get to Him. Because it, the thing is, the fast is not an end in itself. I'll tell you about this friend of mine. He turned 40. He was a missionary friend of mine. He was in the San Blas Islands in the Caribbean. San Blas Islands are 370 little island spits. There's only a dozen of them or so that are lived on. And he was a missionary to Indians that lived in that area of Central America. And when he turned 40, uh, which was 25, 30 years ago maybe now, he decided that he was going to uh, fast for 40 days and seek God for like the second half of his life. And so he found this deserted island, set up his tent, looking out onto the Caribbean and uh, began to pray and read the Bible. And he said, the third day of my fast, he said, a yacht pulled up in this little inlet. And he said, all these naked women began to dive off of the boat and swim toward the shore. And he said, I got in my tent and zipped it shut and stayed in there till they left. He said, it was like a frontal assault of the adversary. You know? But he said, after those 40 days, he said, I, was, I think I was like 
early 30s at the time. He said, I would really commend to you a 40-day fast, Dan, when you turn 40. He said, I never experienced the depth of God's Word like I did in that 40 days. Well, I never did do that, and I don't think I ever will do it. But there's this willingness of God to meet with us when we afflict the flesh in order to seek His face. And so when we begin to do that, and, and when we try to do that, we say, ah, I'm really weak. What can I do? And it drives us back to chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness more than for their daily bread, because they will be satisfied. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so fasting allows us to seek what truly gives life, which is God's voice, his word speaking into us and uh, written down in this book. So the, what happens is that we see in Jesus, as we come to that place of saying, man, I'm spiritually impoverished, I don't have what I need, I, I, and I'm mourning over that, and I'm seeking that, we come to see Jesus more clearly. He's done it all. The reason that he can speak about Isaiah 58 like that is because he did Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquities. He went to the cross for us. He became our substitute, and he said, this is what I'm going to be doing. And when he came, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to reclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden. So he comes and fulfills Isaiah 58 because he did Isaiah 53. And we're not the, we're not the suffering servant. We may suffer. We will suffer. We're guaranteed that. We're called not only to believe on Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. But we'll never suffer the way that Jesus suffered. Can you imagine the fast that he underwent? One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came down and was born of a virgin, lived among men, my example is he, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day he did all of that on the day when sin was as black as could be he went to the cross so that he could come and proclaim to us and draw us into that same ministry that he has arise and shine for your light has come that's us he is our light he is the light in us he's the light through us and so we are driven back to the Beatitudes over and over and over again. And we see Jesus freshly every time we go back. We see him again. How great is this work of God in Christ Jesus that he's called me out from under the yoke and even allowed me to present the freedom, the liberty that comes in Christ from that yoke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. And then he proclaimed that to us. And he earned all of that. He did the fasting. What a fast that Jesus partook of, 33 years away from the praise of angels and the glory that was due him as the creator and sustainer, the mender of all the universe. And he came down and fasted from that because he wanted to glorify his Father and because he loves us. He loves us, like Howard says, because he loves us. His love is great and it's steadfast. And he said, I'll never eat of the vine again. He's fasting even now until I eat it with you freshly on that day when my Father's kingdom comes. So we're called to proclaim that good news in Christ Jesus. And fasting becomes a part of the regimen that we employ in order to be better tenders of that good news. Let's pray together. Father, again, we, we look to you, God. We, we cry out to you. Our soul waits, God. And in your word, we hope 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us, God, that your Holy Spirit has come to abide in us, to unfold it within us and through us. God, we are earthen vessels. We acknowledge that. God, we, we see that we are extremely, extremely needy. God, infinitely needy. And you are infinitely generous, God, and gracious, merciful. Father, we, we call upon you again. We pray that you'd help us to be good followers, to be good disciples, to give us more grace, God, that we might pursue you all the days of our life, even the days of our gray hair, God, that we would continue to be fruitful as we abide in you in the ways and the means that you've given us, God, by your Spirit. Thank you again for your word. Thank you that it's clear, God, that points us to you always. We give you praise for all good things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.